Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's groundbreaking book, In This Together, landed on bookstore shelves with a powerful message. When we work together, we can do absolutely anything. Guidance from 40 women leaders with specific strategies to help women advance their careers makes In This Together even more relevant today, especially with the pandemic's impact on women in the workforce. Take your career to the next level with Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's In This Together, now available on audiobook. Download your copy today. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go with a group. Folks, this podcast is brought to you by the Real Leaders Impact Collaborative, our once-a-month virtual impact CEO peer groups who meet to support each other with whatever is keeping them up at night. I joined the group back in September, and if I had to say the one major takeaway that I've received is that to not let things outside business affect your on-court performance. This little change has certainly reflected in our business growth and development. And when our members do well, more lives are transformed. That's what impact is all about. So if you're interested, please email us at info at real-leaders.com. Just say the podcast sent you and you want to speak to someone about the impact collaborative. Again, that's info at real hyphen leaders.com. Enjoy the show. Transparency. What does it mean for business? How can companies use honesty to their advantage? And why are we giving you all of our secrets away? Well, because we're real leaders and our vision is to make everything business transparent. I'm your secret giver, Kevin Edwards. And as you'll find all of our company's internal staff meetings, reportings, ideas, and interviews like the one you're about to hear will be available online for anyone's education or scrutiny before it reaches the press. Those stories, those companies, and those careers will be waiting in 4,500 different retailers around the world. And at that point, it's up to the readers to become the leaders. Is, is What is your definition of a real leader? Ah, yeah, well, I think there's two things about a real leader. One is a real leader is dedicated to making things better for others. Is a leader is able to, to change trajectory in a positive way and grow followers. Is first of all to be an example. And I think that that's what we're missing in the world today. To really follow your heart, trust your gut. Um, don't be afraid to fail because, you know, failures make you smarter. And um, just keep building, just keep growing, just keep learning. So to all my leaders out there, the conversation to make business more transparent starts here. That's right, folks. The conversation starts here. And in this episode, I hop on a call with Trisha Stevens, the charitable giving and ethical campaigns manager from Lush handmade cosmetics i know it's a lot charitable giving and ethical campaigns manager charitable giving and ethical campaign manager from lush handmade cosmetics oh my god i use lush handmade cosmetics i mean i i have no idea about what they were who they were but now i know why they do what they do and we talk about the secret sauce to how lush connects with their customers hires and maintains employees like trisha for 20 years 
and utilizes what I like, transparency to their advantage. Take a listen. Hello. Trisha, how are we doing? Good, how are you? Not too bad. It's a nice sunny day out here in uh, Portland, Oregon. Ooh, nice. It's also a beautiful sunny day here in Vancouver. Awesome, awesome. Sure it is. Gosh, I gotta say, Vancouver is one of the prettiest places I've ever been to. Pretty nice, right? Did you get to do much sort of exploring along the seawall and down into the park or anything? Unfortunately, I didn't. Um, but I've been to, I used to go up to Whistler all the time. Oh, so, okay. Um, it's, you know, been going since I was, gosh, I don't know, in fourth grade. So um, been up there multiple oh. times, but I hadn't really stayed in the city. This was kind of the first time staying in the city. And, um, you know, Stanley Park was really close to us. And then the Olympic Cauldron was beautiful. I mean, it's just a, you got 4,000, you know, what is it? 4,000 foot mountains right there. And then the ocean kind of just nestles, yeah. you know, right up next to it. So. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty gorgeous, that's for sure. I definitely don't feel like I don't have beautiful things to, to be grateful for and look at every day and nice, you know, fresh air to breathe. We're certainly lucky to be in this, this part of the world. Oh, absolutely. And are you from Vancouver? I'm actually originally from New Brunswick, so I grew up on the oh, East Coast. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha, right on. I've been here for the last almost about 21 years. Oh, 21 years. And that's right. And has have all those 21 years been with Lush? They pretty much have. Yeah. I started working for Lush about three months after arriving in Vancouver. And it was a connection through one of my dad's friends um, was an electrician and was doing all of the electrical wiring for all of the Lush shops in the factory back in the day. And believe it or not, he still does electrical work here. At oh, no way. From time to time, he's not like an in-house electrician, but yeah, essentially, I I guess that's kind of like how did my career path, how did I get here? It's kind of like jumping right into that. Is I um, yeah, grew up in New Brunswick and, and was going to go into environmental law mm-hmm. at the University of New Brunswick in Fredericton, and so that was kind of my plan. But I wanted to take you know a year or two off and just kind of see you know a bit of the country, and maybe I was looking at traveling a little bit more and. I kind of always grew up with that sense of wanting to protect and care about nature and and grew up on a peninsula, so always on the water and taking ferries to and from school every day. And so sort of had this like um, that kind of embedded in me from a very young age. And my grandfather was one of the founders of the Conservation Council of New Brunswick. And and he was also, yeah, and was also a journalist. So and like to kind of tell those environmental stories and and hold companies accountable because New Brunswick is a province that was rich in natural resources, particularly lumber and pulp and paper. And so and Irving Oil was one of the I think they still are one of the richest um, individual families in Canada and they basically owned the maritime provinces from logging to oil and gas refining to shipbuilding and and shipyards so it kind of you sort of had that around you as people constantly always taking from the land and and so my grandfather was very into politics and how you can drive change through that and really caring and protecting about your environment and of course like that love and respect for your family and so it kind of passed on to you 
Yeah. And, and you don't, you know, you don't realize that when you're younger, it's mm-hmm. kind of all happening through osmosis a little bit. And then when you actually are kind of in a position where you talk about your values or what did you enjoy about growing up, you find you're going back to that place where it really was around those things. And, and so I guess that's kind of how my career sort of, you know, started with Lush in a way as I started working here and worked in manufacturing initially so making, learning how to make and produce all the products where you're very connected to the raw materials. So lots of fresh fruits and vegetables and, you know, clays and herbs and things that you're using all the time, almost like a sort of like a larger version of a kitchen, I guess, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so I spent my first nine years in manufacturing. And after four of those years, I became the production manager for both the Vancouver and Toronto factories. Wow. Yeah. So it was a pretty fast track. And I was obviously very interested in the management side of that, but also the people side of that. And then certainly the, the material and raw material side and training folks on how to do that. And so I spent five years supporting the growth of those, um, those two facilities with developing sort of like a room management structure and plan so that rooms had their own sort of system on how to hire and train and develop so that regardless of myself being in the role I was in, it became a more sort of self-managed situation, mm-hmm. which opened up the opportunity to move into launching the retail marketing part for North America. So a lot of our campaigns were coming from our global headquarters in the UK. And in some instances, those campaigns would land well for our staff and customers. And in some cases, it was just not fully connecting because of the humor differences between, you know, the UK and Canada and the United States. And so we sort of looked at, well, what can we be doing more to elevate not just, um, product campaigns but also brand messaging and brand values to our staff and our customers yeah so i was given the opportunity by our president to kind of start the retail marketing team and at that point i didn't have tons of marketing background but i had tons of um you know background on the company and the stories we want to tell and sort of the the scenes on what does it really mean to share our lush values Mm -hmm. And so I was able to hire some really wonderful people, some from across the business and externally. And then we built the retail marketing team up to what's now been absorbed more by our larger brand communications team. And so I managed that team for about four or five years. And then through that, we started doing more campaigning on issues that were really, I guess you'd say, hard hitting Mm -hmm. and raising sort of Lush's voice and space in in the place that we're not afraid to stand up and talk about what we believe in. So campaigns around, you know, the uh, the destruction happening in the Alberta tar sands and pipelines and tankers and a lot of stuff that's really challenging, I think, for people to talk about, especially when there's not a just transition available. It becomes very polarizing between those who are working there and those who are not. And mm-hmm. there are lots of lessons learned along the way. And and one of the the coolest things um, during that time was we launched an initiative in 2007 which was a product called the charity pot Mm -hmm. and the charity pot is a hand and body lotion that a hundred percent of the sales price goes into a fund that we select grassroots organizations within North America and around the world that work on human rights, environmental justice, and animal protection. And so Lush doesn't take back any of the money for the materials, the labor, the shipping of it, or my entire team that vets all these projects. So that's what Lush commits as a business. And if our consumer consumers will come along and support that, all of their dollars go directly to those causes that then we put on the lids of our pots and onto our website 
rates. So we're very transparent about where that, that money is going. And back in 2007, we weren't sure how successful the product was going to be, what our customers were going to think about it. And now that sort of morphed into where I find myself working full time is kind of in our ethics column of the business, where I have a team that works on our charitable giving grants, both from a North American and international level. And we're just celebrated our 10th year going into our 11th year. And to date, we've donated just shy of $30 million to 2000 organizations. That's great. Wow. Yeah, so there's lots. Yeah, thank you. And and those grants are up to a maximum of twenty five thousand. And we really work with small grassroots organizations, indigenous led, indigenous run organizations, women's cooperatives, community groups. So we really look to fund those organizations that other funders would call risky mm-hmm. because they're not registered and they don't give you tax receipts. But we know those things are barriers to a lot of these communities and organizations and so we really look to make sure that our grants are being effective in a way where other funders aren't and then that's kind of one of the roles we play I guess in the philanthropic space sort of globally and so that's a big part of my current role is to oversee and manage that grants program and then within that program we also do product donations to community organizations as well as to our our partners and then we also do have an employee volunteer program where we get staff out in the community volunteering alongside our partners and then to that note we also bring those partners into our shops to do they're called charity partner awareness events Um, and it's kind of like a lushified version of tabling if you will where the organizations get space in our in our top shops during the busiest traffic times of the week so they can communicate directly and impact and engage sorry directly with our staff and customers on issues locally and encourage those folks to get more involved in their local community Okay. So, in, so it's kind of a way to give back beyond monetary donations. So looking at what are the other ways that Lush can elevate and support organizations and issues. It's not just through that, you know, donation that we do. It's also through elevating them and their visibility in our stores and across our brand channels. And as well as providing them that sort of sweat equity in terms of, you know, hands and feet on the ground to get out and do work in the community that's benefiting what the organization um, may need at that time. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow, that's very impressive. And uh, Trisha, you kind of hit on all three topics already. <laughs> it was kind of what I was going to bring up is you talked about, you know, first your career path. And, um, you know, I, I want to jump back to that a little, a little bit later. But uh, you talked about your career path and you talked about the excellent marketing and branding that Lush has been able to do. And then about Lush's values and and how an eco, eco-friendly, uh, you know, handmade cosmetics company is uh, not only using their products to be sustainable, but also giving back in a philanthropic way. So, um, you know, that's important. That's especially what we want to get across to our viewers is that, uh, you know, there are companies out there like this and there are companies out there um, that are trying to aspire to be like a Lush. Um, and, and we see that in these mega trends going on around the world. But let's let's jump back to uh, your career path, um, if you're all right with that. And uh you know, I've interviewed a lot of people, and and you know, it, rarely, rarely do you find somebody who uh, starts at a company um, or you know gets into a company at a at a younger age and and sticks with it for twenty years. You know, I have a lot of friends that come out of college, and you know, they think they have their whole you know career made up and got the, you know landed this job, it's paying well, and then you talk to them a year later, and they're oh yeah, I'm, you know applying for these other jobs already. So, um, 
and, and it really goes to say is, is they're just not passionate about it. And they're not, it's not something that they have aspired to be. And it's not exactly what they uh, thought it, thought it out to be. Um, so could you, could you kind of tell our audience, um, you know, how important it is for one lush hiring, um, uh, employees and, and associates that are passionate about what Lush's values stand for, as well as um, what kind of kept you at the same company for 20 years and, um, and kind of touch on that. So, wow, well, what would it have been like if I left and did something else? And, or if I did something else, what would it be? And you kind of get really stuck up in and held on that question. And you kind of get a little bit of paralysis around wanting to try something new or wanting to continue to advance in the space you're in. And, and I think for me, going back to like, I thought my career was going to be in environmental law and I was going to be a lawyer and I was, you know, not sure where I would end up in terms of where I would be living. Certainly, hopefully somewhere in Canada or the US, but it was kind of like that letting go of that fear of like, this is where I want to be when I end my career and thinking about what do I want to be doing every day to not only make a career for myself, but to also make the world a better place. And I think it was really embracing that and understanding that I'm not just getting up every day to come and make a paycheck and to have a comfortable life in the end. I'm coming to work every day because I truly believe that what I'm doing is making the world a better place, whether that day it's for one person or it's giving a voice to animals that don't get to speak for themselves or being able to put communities forward and and I know that I say this from a place of real privilege being able to have this opportunity and to kind of push through and grow it into what it is I recognize is a, is a real privilege that not everyone will get those opportunities but I think that's also a stumbling block for people where they're like well I don't feel that I'm really contributing and giving back but on the whole there's many ways to do that and so I think it's looking for those opportunities within the job that you're currently in or the job that you aspire to be in, but really taking hold of that for yourself and identifying ways that you can be doing that, not only in your professional life, but in your personal life as well. And then do you get, you know, fulfillment from that? And, you know, obviously it comes with a lot of hard work and a lot of honesty and being able to be honest with yourself and hopefully having that open dialogue with your employer when things may not be going well or you're not feeling supported, like not being afraid to have those conversations. And that's something I've learned along the way is I'm a very self-sufficient, self-reliant individual that asking for help mm-hmm. was something that was so hard for me to do. But then you you know struggle on your own and then frustration happens for whatever reason. And so it's like, how do you let go of a little bit of that and, and be able to, to allow yourself to be supported, I guess, is advice I would say. And I think certainly for younger folks coming up in their careers today, you're getting more and more self-reliant and independent and technology provides you with more visibility into what other folks are doing around the world that it lets like doubt creep in to, well, am I doing the right thing or should I be at this place in my life? And so it takes a lot of, I think, self development to be happy with where you are. Um, And then in terms of like, what does it mean to stick with a company and a career for 20 years and why did I do it? To be honest, because I had a lot of joy and fun along the way. I worked for a very young brand. And so a lot of some of my best friends in life I've made at this company and spent many, many years with, some of them over a decade of my life. So really building and fostering friendships and relationships within your workplace is so important. And I have 
a totally separate like personal life, but I wasn't afraid to kind of embrace that and that you basically are building like a family and a community around you that you often spend more time with than your friends and family. So thinking about how you want to show up at work every day and be that supportive colleague and have others support you. And then we just are always doing innovative, interesting things in a way that sometimes it doesn't always have to work. We have a we believe statement and in that we believe statement is the ability to make mistakes and start all over again. So there's a company culture of being able to kind of do risky things or do things that in the end you don't know how they're going to turn out. And in some cases they turn out really well and in other cases there's a lot of learning there but there wasn't a penalty in, um, in trying. So I think that's another thing in terms of why I've been constantly engaged and and I've also been in a position where I've been able to help um, basically build my own destiny, if you will, like the departments that I worked in from the marketing department to now managing the charitable givings and ethical campaign space didn't exist 20 years ago. It didn't even exist 10 years ago. So being able to kind of work with, you know, the ownership of the company to say these things we know are important, but then once that company gets to a place where now it's no longer a part-time job or you can do this off the side of your desk, really getting in there and helping to shape that direction and becoming an integral part of growing out the ethics of the company as opposed to waiting for someone externally to come in and say, well, this is how you need to do this giving strategy or campaigning strategy. It's taking that ownership yourself and helping to move that forward and making that more part of the company culture, but also just more a part of owning your own journey a bit more. Definitely. And I'm hearing a lot about company culture, you know, and, and that's that's one of the, um, the key takeaways I got from meeting a lot of your coworkers at the uh, Sustainable Brands Conference a couple of weeks ago was I went up to the booth and they're just so friendly, so vibrant, exuberant, you know, and when you talk to these people, it's like it's, it's not like they're forced to be there. It's like they wanted to be there. And I'm, I'm talking to them and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to get. Uh, or I'm going to, originally we we're going to go to the factory and say, hey, I'm going to go to the uh, Lush factory. I'm going to talk to Trisha Stevens. And, you know, can I get you, you, any insight on, you know, your work culture? That was one of the questions I asked them. And and so they're kind of talking to me about it and like, yeah, you know, everyone's just so friendly there. I love working here. I can't really see uh, myself anywhere else. Um, and then they kind of told me, well, you know, Kevin, you should do your research first um, before you talk to Trisha and stop having us answer all the questions. And then I said, well, what do you think I'm doing? <laughs> so um, stuff that millennials care about. So whether it's the environment or social impact, companies are making changes to their work environments and to their business models to attract um, these passionate millennials. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I thought of a question is, you know, this is kind of what makes Lush Lush almost. It's it's handmade cosmetics. It's or it's organic. These people are vibrant. It's like you said, it's, it's a young vibe when I came in. And now all the people I came with are I'm, I'm friends with. Um, could you see Lush being a, a traditional company? And would would a Lush be able to function or be able to drive in the same profits if if it were just a traditional company that used plastic bottles, that used, um, you know, non-eco-friendly chemicals as well? 
would, would you do you think you'd have the same returns granted if you had all the same people in the same place? Yeah, you know, that's a really interesting question. And I'm glad that you mentioned the words like fresh and, and handmade. So essentially, that is in our name. And so to remove those things essentially would make us any other cosmetics brand out there. I certainly can't speak to the company culture for other cosmetics companies. Right. But I can really say that when you think about the word fresh, it's not even just related to our ingredients, it's relating to ideas and the willingness to try things that are new, and to kind of go those uncharted sort of roads that other folks are, are business may not have. And then when you talk about handmade, it's not just, yeah, do we have folks here producing products by hand, but it's everybody's hands that are in the company that are making it what it is from all different genders and from all different communities and really building this strong diversity of culture and ideas. And and I think Lush wouldn't be where it is and couldn't thrive without having those fundamental pieces in place. And certainly we do have a fun and a youthful culture, but we also do have traditional um, forms of leadership in terms of when you're looking at business excellence and how we operate and you know the things that we do behind the scenes with finance and accounting like we do still have traditional things that need to happen in the flow of the business to make sure that you're you know financially accountable so that the company can continue to be profitable so we can support you know our staff as well as be able to continue to invest in the best quality ingredients for our products so I think Lush is a mixture of having that traditional structural background uh, backbone to be financially accountable and stable, but also is very creative and unique and fun and really does look to the things that inspire us in terms of how we want to interact with one another, how we want to interact with our customers. And then certainly how we um, utilize that inspiration in our products and our campaigns in other ways. And uh, one of my colleagues in the UK said this years ago, she's no longer with the business, but we all, when we were working on campaigns and thinking about how this would land with our customers, she's just like, people don't want to be sold something, they want to belong to something. Mm. Lush provides that place of belonging for so many people that otherwise didn't think so in terms of like from a retail perspective, a lot of people say, I never thought I'd work in retail, but I love working in a Lush shop or I never thought I'd work in, work in a manufacturing job, but working in the factory is like working in a giant, beautiful kitchen kind of mixed with a Willy Wonka experience. And so you have these things that would have could have gone down a traditional route, but because of sort of the founders um, of the business and the culture that's always been there these things get to continue to evolve and the more great people that we get to work with and you know meet through other means allows us to continue to sort of like elevate those ideas and to be more inclusive and to continue to kind of push that culture forward definitely and i just want to throw out a statistic out there you know for our listeners um a billion over a billion empty plastic bottles are buried in whole every single year over a billion. Mm -hmm. And so when you're talking about, you know, people want to be, you know, belong to something um, and conscious consumers, um, you know, talk a little about what are in your products. You know, I, I read some of the ingredients that you have, aloe vera extract, um, ground almonds, lavender oil, mango butter, and then powdered charcoal. I mean, wh where do you find these ingredients? And, and also, um, why do you think uh, it's important to um, grab and, and put in place these, uh, not, not just place these product or ingredients inside your products, but highlight to your consumers 
that um, what is actually inside, you know, um, uh, a shampoo, uh, a shampoo, whatever, uh, whatever, in a a, a soap bar, shampoo bar and soap bar. So let me kind of rephrase that for you. That was, that was, that was was really wordy. Um, Why is it important for Lush to highlight what's exactly inside their products? Yeah, these are, there's a few great, um, or I guess, so I maybe I'll rephrase how I'm answering that. Yeah, that's a really great question. And it kind of goes back to uh, fundamentally, why are these products being, um, why are these product formulations coming together in the first place? So the founders in the UK, along with some uh, newer people more recently, have been formulating the products that we've been using at Lush and continue to invent at Lush because first and foremost, they want them to be effective for the customer. And we also want to choose raw materials and ingredients that aren't tested on animals and to be able to produce products in the end that don't require animal testing because we're not utilizing new and fancy chemicals and ingredients that make you look younger or take your wrinkles away. We're using a history of products that's been proven to do these things without having to add the those additional kind of pieces to it. So there is a, an extremely long list of cosmetic ingredients that have been deemed um, safe for use for human beings for, you know, decades. And so first it starts at looking at like, how do we make sure that the formulation is going to work on the individual's hair or skin or body? And then making sure that the cruelty-free piece of that is upheld not only with what we're doing, but with our suppliers. And then looking at how do we do that in the most environmental, low impact way, which would be where you see things like solid versions of stuff that might be in a plastic bottle and using natural exfoliants like ground almonds and charcoal, as opposed to microbeads, which are made from plastic. And then when we do look at our packaging using 100% post-consumer recycled materials and then materials that then can be recycled at a localized level. Mm -hmm. And then also looking at closed loop economy pieces with things like our black pots where we encourage our customers to bring five of those black pots back into the shop. They receive a free product and then we ship those back to our manufacturer on in Vancouver and just outside of Toronto where they're turned back into black pots that then can go back out into rotation. Wow. Yeah, which is a really neat program, and, and we hadn't had the return, able to turn on the re- that return functionality until we found a local place that could make those from a supply chain perspective, because a few years ago, most of our black pots were coming out of Asia. And so these are constant steps that Lush is trying to make and move forward, is how do you get things closer to source? How do you constantly improve on it? For us, sustainability is a continuum. It's not a place that you get to, because by the time you get there, there's certainly newer technologies or better ways that you can be doing stuff. So we sort of look at that from a continuum as opposed to, well, here's our goals and let's get to there, because those goalposts are constantly moving forward. Very cool. Very cool. And so also, uh, you know, in, in your introduction, you're talking about, yeah, I was in marketing for a little bit. And the coolest thing I found, uh, you know, when I was doing my research was, how popping uh, your YouTube pages! I mean, that is just so impressive. I think you yeah. Lush has over three hundred thirty-seven thousand followers, and you know, you guys have everything from um, you know how tos to how it's made. I mean, mm-hmm. it's 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 pretty impressive. Um, and and could you could you kind of touch on on how important um, the brand marketing is uh, for a company like Lush and, and why it's so successful? 
Yeah, and thank you for that. Um, those accolades, I'll definitely pass them on to our film and photo team, Please which do, is the yeah. team that works on that. And so I guess to that point, um, what, why it's so important or, or how we do it at Lush are sort of intertwined, I would say. And so we internally do all of our marketing, uh, all of our marketing happenings happens here internally at Lush and it falls under our brand communications department. So we have a director of our, of brand communications. And then underneath that are all the, you know, the marketing team, the PR team, the copy and content teams, the web marketing teams, et cetera. And so from very early on, Lush decided that they wanted Wanted to keep all of its marketing and branding in-house, which I think is unique to us. And in, in some cases, once companies get to a certain size, they start sort of like working with agencies and having that content be derived and sort of pitched back into the organization for approval for whatever that up and coming campaign is. For us, all of those employees work internally. And in some cases have come from other parts of the business. So they really know the brand. And we also listen a lot to our customers. So what is it that our customers mm -hmm. want to see, which is where a lot of the success for the YouTube channel with the how to use, how it's made. In some cases, our products, you receive it and maybe you don't know what it is. And you're like, well, what do I do with this? I got it as a gift because they're not always self-explanatory right. when they're not in the package. So the success sure. of that channel is really driven by listening to what our customers want to see. And that's sort of behind the scenes, like tell us more about Lush, who's making our products. We put the faces of the individuals on our on our package products. I saw that, yeah, it's cool. Yeah, but sometimes people don't get to see the folks making our naked products. And so it really is a way, again, to elevate that connection back to raw materials that we're using the people that are making the products and the customers that are buying them. And so I think brand marketing in a genuine way has been sort of the angle that Lush has taken. We're not looking to uh, trick the consumer. We put the ingredients on all of our packaging and in all of our catalogs so people know what they're getting. So we're not trying to falsify who we are. And if anything, we're just trying to be transparent about what we're doing. And so, I think that's been a lot of the key to our success in that regard. And then from sort of like the larger branding initiatives and, and campaigning initiatives, that is where we look to inform consumers around issues that we think are important. And we certainly have differences of opinion when we do things. And again, it's allowing for that dialogue to happen. So if there's a customer or someone that's unhappy with something that we're doing, they're allowed to have those conversations with us on our social media. And we don't delete those negative comments. And we actually have a, um, a policy, kind of an, I guess, unwritten policy mm -hmm. that we respond to every comment. So oh. no matter, yeah, no matter how hard it is, and how gritty it's getting, our customer care team is responding to all of those comments. And so we work closely with wow. that team around some of the ethical conversations because sometimes you just have to agree to disagree. And, sure. and if Lush is in a position where we can help elevate dialogue about something and it's something that's core to what we believe in, we want to take that opportunity. But we know there's going to be opposition so Lush doesn't shy away from controversy and is willing to have those conversations as a brand, which I think now has become sort of part of like how we're known out there in the world in terms of being a brand that takes a stand has come from being not being afraid to have those uh, courageous conversations in our shops as well as across our social channels. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think that alludes to kind of what you were saying earlier um, that you know, consumers aren't just purchasing a product, they want to be a part of a product. 
And so when you think about, you know, Lush is in you know, a lot of the, the malls um, around the United States, at least where, that's where I've seen them. And, you know, you, you would think that like the household names like Forever 21 or all these other, you know, Nordstrom's, uh, they, you know, that they would have the, the be the front runners and the social media and branding strategies, but you just don't quite see that. You don't quite see the people buying into their their brands and, and their their products because um, it doesn't have the same love that that Lush is giving, um, not just yeah. in their products, but uh, like you said, back to the people online and having these discussions. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's that's really impressive, and I think you know this is kind of what um, we're learning at all these conferences and all these stories that we produce in our magazine is. Um, that these mega trends aren't going away. That people actually care about their product and, and where it comes from. So um, that's that's a really cool cool part that Lush does, and I de- definitely want to throw that in there. But you know, let's let's talk about more about career advice. So mm-hmm. these podcasts are called shortcuts because we try to bring success stories to life uh, to inspire purposeful careers. And the way that we want to do that uh, is by highlighting. Uh, not only career paths and careers, but uh, career advice so people can get to where they want to be a little bit faster. You know, what would be a couple things that you would say to our audience who, you know, are either aspiring entrepreneurs or aspiring, um, you know, workers who um, have these passions but don't really know what to do with them? Right. Yeah, definitely a really interesting question because I'm sure there's many different ways for folks to find themselves in a career that they feel that they're one, you know, moving themselves forward professionally, but also finding that opportunity to give back, whether it be to your local or your global community. So I think um, some advice that I have is really first looking internally of what is it that you're doing every day to be sustainable? How is it that you're giving back to your community? And really looking at what is going on and happening in the world? And what are the ways that you feel that you want to kind of look at some of those either injustices or those positive pieces and with your skills and abilities, how can you move into um, a career that will help move those things forward? I think is one piece is to first look at what are you yourself doing? And then within that, are there things that you're passionate about that then you can start thinking about how does this or would this apply to a potential career path? I think also doing research on what are brands that are doing good and brands that are giving back or even companies and organizations, because there's certainly, you know, law firms and, and other organizations that aren't just sort of brands or consumer brands that you can be employed by that are, again, giving back in sort of whatever area it is that you feel the most passionate about. So I think that that is a key indicator is finding those brands and those opportunities. And I think networking is also another big piece of it is I think often people find themselves in a bit of a bubble in terms of, oh, this is the career path I wanted to go down and I'm not seeing anything. I'm stuck. Well, how do you network outside of that and engage with other folks that might be um, that might be employed in another career that you never thought you'd find yourself in? And kind of going back to sort of my story was not being afraid to try out a job now that may not seem like where you want to end up in 20 years, but it's with a a brand that you really connect with and then allowing yourself to be willing and open to what that journey looks like. And again, I think back to what I said earlier, like obviously working hard and being honest with yourself and being honest with your employer and showing up every day with a positive attitude Mm -hmm. and a really great outlook goes goes further than I think people think that it does. 
And then also, again, building when you do find those careers and communities, thinking about how you are showing up every day and what type of legacy you want to create for yourself, not for when you're 80 years old, but people build their legacy every day, but they don't think about it until, you know, later on in life, but really thinking about, well, what do you want to be building every single day? Not for people to put on your tombstone, but for people to say about you now. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, and that just sparked one more question that I had. And, uh, you know, a lot of these companies that we talked to is they're they're now switching or, or have already had these sustainable practices. And it kind of just makes the, the question as a, from a holistic uh, viewpoint, you know, is this, is this for you? Is this, do you feel like you're making a direct impact that maybe you can't even see? Or is this something that, you know, let's, let's, let's think big picture here. We're going to start now and be sustainable. And then, um, you know, we might not see it in our lifetime, but this is for our grandkids or something like that. You know, how do you approach something like that? What's what's your kind of stance and, and viewpoint on on having a sustainable impact? And this will be the last question I'll ask you because I know you got a, you know, an actual job to go back to. Thank you. And that's a really great question. And I think often we have to look at it from I from a short, medium, and a long term um, position, particularly with the organizations we're supporting and some of the issues that we're funding. And if you look at something like animal testing for cosmetics, for example, in Canada and the U.S., there's still no legislation around banning that. And Lush has been on the forefront of talking about animal testing not only just for cosmetics for over 30 years, but here we are in Canada and the United States still trying to win that fight. So we're getting closer and closer with you know each month and each year, but it's something that you can't just set your sights on, oh, well, we're not going to be happy until it's done. It's like, what are some of the steps along the way that will get us there that once it is done, customers know what cruelty-free cosmetics are. They know how to look at ingredients lists. They know how to you know champion or campaign for these things in their communities to then be able to take that legislation even further and look at animal use and you know, education, testing and research across the board. So I think it's looking at what are some of the short, medium and long term pieces of that, or else it can be very daunting and get very overwhelming. And so in terms of do I think that I'm making an impact or that Lush is making an impact today, I would absolutely say so. And we see that in the victories that are celebrated in the communities that we are supporting and with the issues that we're taking on. So whether it be legislation that's being passed or whether it be a you know, forest that's continued to be able to be protected because we're supporting those frontline defenders to defend their territory. And so because we do grants to small community organizations on an annual basis and build those partnerships, we're able to celebrate their victories. And I think that's another piece for um, brands or businesses to consider is that the victories don't need to necessarily be owned by you and your industry. They can be owned by the communities that you're supporting and figuring out how to celebrate other victories that you played a supporting role in versus you had kind of ownership over that whole space. Definitely. Well, Trisha, I appreciate your time. And I'm actually celebrating a victory today as well, because this is the Shortcuts uh, first podcast ever. And, oh, and you are the first guest. So thank you for uh, your time. And hopefully down the, the long run, you know, we can have a little bit, uh, you know, a couple more victories along the way. So yep. I, I really appreciate your time. And, and thanks for taking um, you know, time out of your day to do this. Yeah, thank you very much. And, and congratulations on the launch of the podcast. And it's been great chatting with everyone and look forward to future conversations um, 
yeah, look forward to future conversations. All right. Thanks, Tricia. Okay. Take have a great care. rest of your day. Yeah. yeah. You too. Have a wonderful weekend. And that wraps it up. First podcast ever in the books, baby. In the magazine, baby. It's in the magazine. It's over. Done. All right. Let's, uh, let's calm down a little bit, Kevin. Uh, first one in the books. There's way more to come. Very excited about how businesses in the future will be, just like you heard today, transitioning from holding their internal documents, their secrets, their questions, their ideas, and letting that be transparent to the public, their reportings, uh, what is going on behind the scenes, and letting the public know with humility that what they are doing is for them. So I thank you all again for taking your time and taking a chance on ReLeaders today. And being one of the founders to listen to this podcast, if you liked it, go on our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram for more of the videos and photo content. It's at realleaders.shortcuts. There's going to be more interviews on there. And then on YouTube, similar concept, just videos though. It's at Real Leaders Magazine. And then on Twitter, it's just at Real underscore Leaders. So on Facebook and Instagram, at realleaders.shortcuts. YouTube, Real Leaders Magazine. Twitter, at real underscore leaders. Go on there, check out, and see how we as a company are making the transition to being more transparent and why we think other businesses should too in the future. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in to this podcast with Trisha Stevens from Lush. We want you to go out there and, well, be a leader like her. Lead with transparency, integrity, authenticity and take ownership of whatever you do thank you for being one of the first to subscribe to the Leaders podcast and uh, if you like it please share with your friends we'll see you next time on the Leaders podcast and thank you good people for hanging on to this episode of the real leaders podcast and before we go today i just want to make sure that you are all aware that we have now launched our new Realtors membership. If you want to get access to all of Realtors Magazine, private member-only events, and free courses online, hit the link in the show notes and enter in coupon code PODCAST20 to receive 20% off a $100 a year subscription. Hit the link in the show notes, enter in coupon code PODCAST20 to receive access to all of Real Leaders to get you to the next level. Thanks for listening to this episode, and always keep it real.